judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Boop, boop, boop. How you doing, Kim? Tired. Yeah, that's because this is the third episode out of four. Yes, we're doing, I feel like we've been doing a lot of these lately, mostly because of travel. Yeah. Where we're just like, let's do all of them in one day. And it's like, this is terrible. It's a lot. I love but at spending least... time with you, but I'm exhausted. Yeah. 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 And at least the research we do split when we're doing these double ones. It's not like you're doing all of the research for it. We, we've never done that where we've like recorded two episodes. Where, oh, like we split the research for this. No, because like you did too. And I did too. Well, that's what I mean. Oh, that, I thought I'm you saying like we never, we never do it. We never do it where like you have to do both of the episodes. Oh, okay. Except right. for like literally today. Like it's kind of like that. We both had to do two bigs and two littles or a oh, big and a little. We, yeah, we uh, sure we did a big and a little, but we didn't no one did two bigs. No. But like anyway. <laughs> it's like the equivalent <laughs> almost. I don't know. This is like very confusing. So. Tomato <laughs> potato. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're making a gazpacho and tortilla española over here with tomatoes and patatas. <laughs> I was like, wait, say it again? Say which part? Did you say, you said gazpacho, but what else did you say? Tortilla española. That's the egg and potato. Oh, that's why I was like, where is there a potato in what she's talking well, about? Well, you said... Yeah. Because I said potato, tomato, or whatever, like a joke, but I did not understand. I was just trying reference. to make a meal out of it. Oh, uh, okay. It, it's long gone. It doesn't even, it's not even funny. We're going to move it's on. It's not. No. It's like, uh, <laughs> oh, you cut that out. There's an uncut gems joke. You'll have to wait, everyone. You'll have to wait for the uh, blooper reel to hear that. Yes. Uncut gems joke that Rebecca did not get. Did not my get. Soul. But you know what I did get? What you got? I got, I got accepted by New York Comic Con to present a panel. Yeah, I was on the I was on the waiting list for ooh, almost a month, I think. Oh, three I think three weeks was the waiting list. And they just notified us yesterday with like a whole apology thing about how the approval for the academic panels was not like it was behind schedule. And I was like, I kind of mm. knew because everyone I knew who had submitted an academic centered panel was put on a wait list so i guess they finally decided and they said yes you can come and present your panel so we will be doing that again this year it's on thursday october 12th if anybody's gonna called? be there oh yeah what is it called it's i'm called... like looking through my list now i don't know if they would have posted it yet um really? because they haven't given us a time slot so oh okay so i don't not. think but it's like Mm, pop culture pedagogy fandom final projects and i don't know something about comics i forget but it's basically pop culture fandom and comics in the college classroom kind of concept again i just gave it a a funky name well that sounds very cool um 
I will not be in attendance again because it's on a Thursday. I think next year I'm just going to get a Thursday pass. And then that'll be the year they're like, no, you can't do right? it. And I'll be like, fuck, now I'm here on a Thursday for I what? mean, I'm not going to lie, especially for you as someone who's not a big fan of like the mega crowds. Thursday is the best day to avoid that. Like, because some people come later. Yeah. There's not things except for the like whole Buffy cast being there that you wanted to take photo ops. They're with also going to be there on Sunday, which you're not going to be Friday. There. <laughs> well, I mean, I listen. I don't need to do a photo op. I have oh, okay. a photo op with um, James Masters already, so like I'm good on that. Um, and like I really should not be spending so much money. But they're doing a. Um, it's like a spotlight on the. What is it? Audible presents Slayers, a Buffyverse story. So, like, that's, I guess that's why they're not doing photo ops on Friday and Saturday because they're at this panel. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either. I was really mad when I first saw that they were doing photo ops for at least uh, four people from Buffy on Thursday and Sunday because I was like, what the fuck? Like, those are the least literal popular two days. days why would they going. do that? And the, yeah, the literal two days I'm not going. Uh, but now there's this panel, and hopefully I get into the panel, but it's about. There's a Buffyverse series starting, but it's like for Audible. Okay. That's probably why they can talk about it. Yeah, right. Because it's not... It's not promoting the show. Yeah. Because there's not a show. It's right. a yeah, it's, piece it's, of audio, I guess. I mean, I guess if that's what they can do. I mean, I wonder if they'll even... How much they'll talk about it. If it's not under the SAG-AFTRA contract, like if, if right? that yeah. type of work doesn't fall under that, then they can... Well, I mean, there must have been writers, but I guess the actors... I feel like but maybe the actors aren't going to be there. Maybe it's... Are there voice actors that are different? I wonder. Voice I'm, actors I'm excited count to go. for television, but I don't think voice actors... I think the book industry is a separate maybe. category. I, I'm sure that there will be someone there to tell me all about it. I'm looking forward to that. Just in general, I'm looking forward to like any Buffy things. And there's a lot of characters from the original Buffy coming back to like voice their characters or new characters. I don't love that I'm hearing that it's like from Spike's perspective, but it's called Slayers. And like, he's a dude, so I don't really get it. But I'm here for it. He's also a vampire, not a more. Slayer, right? Yes. Yeah. So what? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but um, I'm here for it, I guess. So, like, yeah. I'll, I'll take whatever Buffyage I could get. Um, Buffy. There's also. <laughs> that's like, like roughage. Roughage. <laughs> Buffyage. Buffyage. There's also a Goosebumps series starring Justin Long. Okay. They're going to be talking about that. Um, and I was like, okay, Goosebumps. Yeah, I'm good on Goosebumps. Like, I. So, I have. Um, I was going to say fetish, but that's weird. I didn't mean fetish. Um, I'm a very, very big R.L. Stein fan, but for the Fear Street book series. Right. And people often confuse it. So people will give me Goosebump books all the time. And I'm like, cool, thanks. But like, I'm looking for Fear Street. Like, and they're harder to find. I'm definitely looking just for Fear Street. Um, so I always get like tagged and stuff that's like Goosebumps because it's R.L. Stein in general. And I did read all the Goosebumps too. So I'm interested in that. But when I saw this, I was like, ugh, another Goosebumps show. Like, I'm good on that. And then TikTok like show me an ad and it's like Justin Long. And I fucking love Justin Long. Anything that he's in. I will watch. And this actually looks really good. So I'm like cool. excited about it. So there's a whole bunch of like cool panels. Yeah. I kind of wish like it's so sad to be like this is kind of the most disappointing one because of the strike. There's like I feel like it could have been bigger. Like there would be more people if it weren't for the strike and there'd be more interesting panels. But I wonder if that'll help with the crowd size though. 
I don't. I mean, I feel no, like you don't think it just so? will give people less places to go and it'll be crowded in mm, random places. Fair enough. Fair enough. Or the things that I want to do, everyone else will want to do. Oh, so also, first time ever, my husband is going. He's very excited. Yay, P.O. So I'm trying to like load the day with stuff. So I, I don't think he's going to stay until 10 because he has to work super early the next day. So I'm like trying oh, yeah, to fair. load things. So I'm like, I'm still here until nine, maybe. And the next day I have significantly less things. Like, I think I might be done by like four o'clock the next day. Unless okay. like I just follow you guys around to panels that you want to go to. So we should compare. Yeah, panels. I haven't even looked yet. And I should because they're doing the panel thing on Wednesday. But I, yeah. I'm basically going to have to make a list, give it to Sean, and he's going to have to open it up on another computer because I have class at 1045. And yeah. we all know how their system works. And <sighs> just because they go live at 10, I mean, I might be able to get, I might still be in the waiting room at noon when yeah. my class ends. So every um, everything that they've had that's been timed lately has been super inconvenient for me. And I remember last year people were complaining about the time and I was like, move your move your schedule around. Now I'm like, fuck, I'm the person like right. I'll be in California. So I have to be up at like 7 a.m. to do this. Girl, you act like you sleep past seven anyway. Yeah, but like I'll be <laughs> at like a whole nother place. I might be. And also doing it on your connected. phone will be different yeah like part of me wants to bring a laptop but i really don't want to carry a laptop just for one day like yeah i hear that's you. annoying as fuck but uh, there is one photo op i want to do there but i don't know i need to find at least one more person but preferably two or three more people to share it with because it's so expensive but it's got five people in it so mm -hmm. oh, wow. um but it's our flag means death and oh, wow. um it's got for the crew members and then it's got reese darby who plays one of the main characters so he's one of the top build actors Ooh. in that um and it's like 340 or something which honestly Jeez. compared well, to like a supernatural so compared to a supernatural photo op is like nothing but uh <laughs> yeah. just kidding but yeah for five people it's a good deal it's just i can't swing that on my own so if i can yeah. find more people who want to be in it with me well, then you don't I'll want do like randoms do you I'm no like, I'm i sure. have <laughs> i have at least one friend who i know will probably be interested but mm -hmm. i i would love it like even if she had another friend and like i only kind of knew that person but like yeah you could at least be like this is jessica but i'm not, not gonna like, be like picking people off the like hey you want to split an op you want to split it yeah. up <laughs> like, i wonder how weird. often that happens like if it's just like you and one other person you could kind of like crop the person out i feel like so I feel like that would be easier. My photo op, I did not get, and I was heartbroken. It was Chris Evans. Yeah. Is he doing a spotlight or is he just doing photo op? He's doing a spotlight. I hope he talks about his dog. Like, I just want to go listen to him talk about his dog. <laughs> He's doing a spotlight right during the Walking Dead 20-year celebration. So, like, uh, I'm, like, really torn. Like, Yeah. I'm well, like torn about it. So I don't really know what to do about that. Who knows how quickly they'll fill up anyway. True. But I don't, I can't really remember where things are. I feel like they're not near each other. Like one, it says room 405, which I feel like is in the new building. And the other one is main stage, which I feel like is in the old building. So I feel like it yeah. would take me forever to walk over there in the first place. So yeah. I'm going to try and get both and then like make my decision based on like where everybody else is going. Yeah, I wonder, though, if the pass will block you because they're the same time, if they're both on the pre-reservation. Do they do that? I don't remember. I if don't there was know. like a thing, it was like, you have something that interferes with this. Make a choice. I don't remember. 
Uh, yeah, I haven't even taken a look yet. And as I said, there's a lot of the like academic type ones, and 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 they're not even just academic, but like like the race and culture ones. And there's a lot of those on Friday. There's less on Saturday. I I kind of want to talk to like whoever did the scheduling too, because there's a lot of like black horror things Friday night, and I'm like, why are they all at the same time? Yeah, they should definitely be spread out because usually yeah. people who want to go to one of them want to go to all of them. And it's me. Hi. I want to go to all of them. <laughs> okay, Taylor. Speaking of Taylor, are okay. you going to see the tour in, like the tour is like going to be in movie theaters? No. I'm interested. I think it's like three hours though, but I'm I interested. I literally know like three Taylor Swift songs. You can I know the Romeo and Juliet one and I know the Shake It <laughs> Off one. <laughs> That's two. I probably know another one, but I don't know what it is. You knew the one that I was just singing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That one. <laughs> there you go. You've got this. <laughs> See? Three. There we go. No, I'm not. Um, but, you know, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's happening and that she's behind it because that give, that makes it more accessible to people. Yes. I kind of wish Beyonce would do the same thing because I would want to see that one more and you get it like okay so it happens six months after the tour actually ends mm. or however many months after the tour ends so you're not like oh people aren't coming to the actual concert because they're just going to go see it in the right. theater it's not yeah. the same experience not anyway the same. no not at all there's a, a bit with the accessibility which i think is cool some things are better live and that is the truth but like having another option doesn't hurt you know, like, what's you better know what life? else is really oh. great? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, oh. do it, you do it, you do it, you do it, you do it. Like sports. Sports are much better live. Like tennis. Tennis, yeah. Tennis. I don't think I could watch tennis on TV too long. I'd be like, boop, boop, boop. Well, no, I, see, I feel like that's the motion sickness. It's at a different angle. But if you were watching it from the side live, you might get more. Oh, okay. Bloop, bloop, bloop. But like you're watching on a screen. <laughs> that's our so tennis like, noise in case down, anybody's not sure. <laughs> bloop, bloop, bloop. Yes. Now you know when you hear it as we talk about who we're talking about today. And who are we talking about today? Today we will be discussing the multi-record holding tennis superstar Serena Williams. We're going to look at her early life and her experiences with the sport. Then we'll consider the ways in which the media has covered her over the years, including comments on her size, race, and gender, and as it relates to the game and even beyond the tennis court. We'll follow this up by breaking down the realities behind the comments on her sportsmanship, the double standards she has been held to, and how racism and sexism by reporters and more have twisted reality. Finally, we'll wrap it up with a discussion of what she has achieved so far in life, how she's given back to her community, and the different women who she's inspired on and off the court. Some trigger warnings, uh, racism, sexism, and body shaming. Serena Jamika Williams was born in Saginaw, Michigan on September 26, 1981. Her birthday is in like 10 days. Yes. Um, actually, her birthday is like is why we're covering a week this. ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we're doing time it. Travel. We're in the time machine. We're doing it like... But yes, it, ten you're days right. from now. What this is, is time? why we're this is why we're doing Serena Williams because it was her birthday. Her birthday that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And she was born the same year that I was. We're just let's see, I'm five months older than she is. Wow. Mm -hmm. Do you know how to play tennis? I definitely do not. <laughs> I'm like, look, you could have so many things in common. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the part of Michigan that she was born in is about 20 minutes outside of Lansing. That is the closest 
part of the map that made sense to me when I was looking at Michigan. She is okay. far from everything. This is a suburb suburb. She was far out there. I mean, 20 minutes isn't that bad. Like, yeah, I, but like, where's Lansing even? Like, that's just one that sounds familiar. It's in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, oh, how far is she from Detroit? And I was like, oh, a while. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay, so... Her family is a blended family. She's the youngest of five kids on her mother's side, all of which were daughters. Her mother, Oracine Price, a nurse, was a widow with three daughters when she met Richard Williams. Together, they had Serena and her older sister, Venus. Her father, Richard, was divorced and had five kids of his own. It's kind of like the Brady Bunch. They had a mix. He had a mix of boys and girls. Richard was a security guard and a part-time tennis coach. Now, we don't just want to talk about Serena's dad, but he made some real critical and some would say strange choices. So, for example, in 1983, the family moved to Compton, California. In the 80s, this was a really rough area of the state. You know, think gangs, drugs, police corruption. The family wasn't rich, but they did have enough money to live somewhere else. However, Richard Williams was of the belief that his children needed to be rough and tough, both in their training and upbringing. In an old interview, Serena's father opened up about the rough traits of Compton. Williams said, there was no place in the world that was rougher than Compton. He stated, the ghetto will make you, t- the ghetto will make you rough. It'll make you tough. It'll make you strong. And that's why I went to Compton with them. It was a little bit risky it was, as it was a truly dangerous neighborhood. But Williams says growing up in Compton gave her the ability to adjust to pretty much anything, any playing conditions and anything during her career. Williams and her sister were homeschooled by their dad and they played tennis basically whenever they weren't in school. Their parents were their coaches and Serena was building a foundation. By 1991, the family moved yet again, this time to Bradenton, Florida. Here, the Williams sisters were admitted into IMG Academy. This was a private school focused on sports. Some of the very notable alumni include Tiger Woods, Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras, Anna Kornikova, Monica Seles, and Maria Shapova. Tuition is currently $89,000 a year for someone attending between 10th and 12th grade. They have scholarships and payment plans, but that is a lot of money. Yeah, I think that's about how much I paid for four years of undergrad. Even that, I don't think I spent that much. Because, I mean, (laughs) well, no, it would have been around the same time, right? Because if we're the same age, it would have, like... No, now. That's current. Oh, that's the current price. I couldn't find what it was then. Got it. Got it. Okay. I'm sure it was like a fucking hug then in the 80s, but like, (laughs) because school was just like less expensive. But I mean, it was always a private like sports academy. So I'm sure it was expensive for the time. But now that is what it costs, like almost 90K. So got it. Yeah. Williams was in good company and in good hands. Here she trained with legendary coaches Rick Mack and Nick Bolatieri. Both taught all the greats and had an eye for potential. Rick worked with Williams perfecting skills she learned from her father and sometimes correcting those lessons. Richards and Rick often butted heads, but they still respected one another. At the time, the Williams sisters started playing junior tennis matches in the junior circuit. This is when Richard began to worry about how much tennis they were playing. Their grades started to fall as they started spending more time preparing for the junior matches. Richard didn't want tennis to interfere with school. School was the priority. In an unheard of move, Richard pulled both girls out from competing in the the junior games. He had a few reasons, partly because he was appalled by how the other parents would berate their kids if they didn't play well. He was raising his girls to be tough, but understood that they were still kids. He didn't want tennis to be a pressure. He wanted it to be fun. It was supposed to be fun. Yeah, and I have a lot of respect for that. And I actually think, I mean, I have no scientific evidence to this, but like, 
I feel like doing something like that probably helped them be stronger players because they didn't mm-hmm. like spend all of their abilities as kids, right? They yeah. were able to develop their skills on a pace that was like natural to their bodies and their development and so mm-hmm. on. But anyway, um, Coach Rick Mack had an issue with this at first, right? He was not a fan of Richard taking the do- his daughters out of the juniors. But in hindsight, he says... The parents just get so caught up in it. It's like little league baseball. You know, they work all during the week. They go to these tournaments on the weekends. It's like the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? It's like the most important thing. And they lose perspective. And they don't really understand that this is a journey. And it's called junior development, not junior final destination. And Richard didn't want any part of that. And now I'm just laughing thinking about a final destination movie centered around tennis. Oh, no, I'm thinking for kids. I'm thinking like one of those tiny um, roller coasters that like don't leave the ground, but somehow like would kill a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Little tiny tanning beds that they but, get stuck in. But I again, I like this. Like this, it's called junior development. Yes. Like, right? Like let them develop. Exactly. You don't want to stun somebody's growth. Like what if they did terrible in juniors and then they like. We're like, I can't play. Like, I can't. I'm not even worthy of the court. Like, I'm never going to be good. Like, it must have been, like, really hard. So I think pulling them out was a really good idea. So in 1992, Richards told Trans World Sports that he didn't want Venus and Serena exposed to the ugliness of junior tennis, saying, it tears the family to pieces, and we're a great family. And bringing our girls out later, it'll be better all around for the family, for the girls, for tennis. And he's not wrong. (laughs) No, he's not wrong. But I just, like, I feel like... And again, this is not an episode about Richard Williams, but the fact that he like stood in his conviction, even though everyone was like, dude, let them play. Like, what are you doing? He stood up for his family and was like, they're not playing. Like, this is going to mess them up. And then he was absolutely fucking right about it. Like, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, we'll get there. But he's absolutely fucking right about all the choices that he made. So tennis at the time was a sport for rich, upper-class people, usually white people. The Williams sisters were an unusual sight at the court, and some people treated them as such. After overhearing parents talking about and to his girls in a derogatory manner, he pulled them away. The pressure and the racism were just too much, and he wanted to make sure that the kids stayed kids. While competing in juniors could have gotten the girls' sponsors and press, they made do. A mere four years later, Serena turned pro. In 1995, at the age of 14. 14. Yeah. Skipping juniors had no negative effects on her career, like other coaches guessed it might have. After going professional, one of the biggest challenges that Williams faced was her age. She planned on making her pro tennis debut at an event called Bank of the West Classics in Oakland, California. However, she was denied by the WTA, which is the World Tennis Association, owning to their age eligibility restrictions. So what does Serena do? Well, she almost sued. According to Kevin Davis, a family lawyer at the time, Serena's decision not to sue for the right to play for pay at 14 is only temporary and was reached at the behest of her parents. So like her older sister was granted the right to play in the same Mm -hmm. tournament at the age of 15. And that was still also under the age limit. So I couldn't find exactly what the age limit was. Apparently it it moves. And if you play as a wild card, there's exceptions. So her sister played as a wild card at the age of 15. So when she came to do it at the age of 14, they were like, nah. And it's like, why? 
So Williams was not allowed to compete, but she channeled that energy into her actual first pro match at the Bell Challenge in Quebec in October of 1995. She entered as a wild card entry to get around the age limit rules. Sadly, she lost very early on in that event. Williams didn't play again until November 1997. She did well and ranked 304. Here, she defeated two top 10 players and became the lowest ranked player to do so. By the end of the year, her rank jumped to 99. So from 304 to 99. Williams was competing and winning and rising in the ranks. Williams made her debut in the main draw of the Grand Slam tournament at the Australian Open in 1998. Okay, but like, what's a Grand Slam? All I know about a Grand Slam is baseball. And the bases are loaded and someone hits a home run and you score four runs. That's all I know. So in tennis, I'm I'm here. Tell me, what is a Grand Slam? I thought you were going to say Denny's Breakfast was all you knew about Grand Slams. Because that's all I knew about Grand Slams. So... The Grand Slam Tournament, a.k.a. the Majors, is the world's four most important annual professional tennis tournaments. They offer the most ranking points, prize money, public and media attention. So the four Grand Slam tournaments are the Australian Open, that's in January, the French Open, that's in late May, early June, Wimbledon in late June or July, and the U.S. Open in late August to early September. New York City just had the U.S. Open. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. That's always in New York City. It's always a very big deal. During the Australian Open in 1998, Williams rocked it, defeating someone who was ranked six in the world. She ended up losing to her older sister, Venus, and leaving the competition. I remember this year. Like, that was a big to-do, the year that they played each other there. Uh, Williams won her first professional title in doubles in the U.S. National Indoor Champions in Oklahoma City. So a double is when there's a team of two on both sides of the net, right? Um, And who better to have as a teammate than her sister Venus? So together they won and became the third pair of sisters to win a WTA title. These wins helped Williams become number 20 in the ranks by the end of 1998. So again, just to recap, she started at 304 and a year and a half later, she was at number 20. In 1999, Williams was 17 and playing more than ever. After a long session, after a long season of wins and injuries, Williams defeated the number one player, Martina Hingas. With this win, Serena surrendered herself in the record books, becoming the second African-American woman after Athea Gibson in 1958 to win a Grand Slam singles tournament. Well, let's do let's do some math science here. Yeah. 41 years. 41 years between Althea Gibson's win and Serena Williams yeah. win. I mean, it wasn't really... Not to say that it wasn't a place for, like, African-Americans, but, like, it wasn't always welcoming, and it kind of still isn't. And, like, we'll get to it, but Serena and her sister had a lot to do with why there are so many more players of color now. Right. Like, there's a ton more now, like, male and female, and they have a lot to do with it. Like, 41 years, there was fucking nobody doing anything like not that they weren't playing but they probably weren't at the same level i mean maybe they didn't have the same training opportunities i mean we talked about that with soccer right yeah anyway i just thought that was a a big chunk of time i wanted to bring attention to chunk of time yeah williams ended 1999 as the number four ranked player 2000 was filled with sporadic wins but mostly injuries and losing to her big sister she ended the year in sixth place by 2002, Williams won the Wimbledon Championships for the first time. She finally defeated and dethroned her sister and earned the number one ranking tennis player spot. 
becoming only the third African-American woman to hold that ranking. During the French Open of 2003, Williams earned her first loss in a Grand Slam tournament since 2001. She also got some controversy. According to the BBC Sports, Williams was jeered by spectators in the closing stages and had her every mistake cheered as several line calls were disputed by both players. The world number one was particularly upset by an incident in the third set where she prepared to serve. Her opponent, Henan Harding, raised her hand to suggest she was not ready to receive. Williams served anyway, a fault, but then claimed she was distracted and asked the umpire for the point to be replayed. The umpire said he had not seen what had happened and Williams was rankled when Henan Harding did not intervene to admit that she had not been ready. Okay, so like this sounds weird, but I watched it on YouTube because I was like, someone explain this to me like I'm five. So basically, Williams goes to serve. I wish I wish this was a visual podcast because I'm like doing my hand movements. So Williams goes to serve and then Henan puts her hand up like, hold on. So Williams is like in the midst of serving and she like stutters because she's already in motion. So the ball like doesn't go over the net. So it's a foul. Williams says to the ref like, hey, she put her hand up. And the ref is like, I didn't see anything. And then Williams calls out to Hennon, like, hey, you put your hand up. But she acts like nothing happened. The crowd saw, the camera saw, the crowd is rooting for the hometown favorite and they do not care about Williams. Like, it's shocking to watch. It's so clear. Like, all the commentary, all the commentators are like, yeah, she put her fucking hand up and she probably should have said, oh, no, she she did that because I put my hand up to, like, stop her. But she never said anything. Like, she didn't own up to it. And, like, the crowd, like, didn't like Serena anyway and was like all for this like hometown girl. Yeah. It's well, very messed up. We can, I don't know where we would link it, but like you can find it pretty easily if you do a YouTube search for it. Later in a press conference, Williams just says, I was a little disappointed with her. It wasn't the turning point of the match. I should have still won the game, but to start lying and fabricating is not fair. She also addressed the energy of the crowd, which wasn't just pro Hennon, but clearly anti-Williams. It's a little difficult, said Williams. I've had to learn to fight all my life. Gotta learn to keep smiling. If you smile, things will work out. Deep down, it hurts. I think it's bad when people start booing between serves. But she played very well and deserved to win. I've just got to be a little stronger next time. I don't think being American right now had anything to do with it. I just think sometimes you want the underdog to win. I like that. That's kind of like a little bit of shade at the same time. So I, yeah. I, I respect that. It's like I'm better than you. And sometimes you need to throw a bone to people who aren't as good as you. So when asked about the hand movement and how the match went from her point of view, Justine Hennen Harding said she's had a lot of chances recently and it's about time that she gave others a chance. What? I would like to know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Like, everyone there earned their spot. Like, this game is about hard work and not chance. Like, I don't I don't get what she meant. And no one asked her to elaborate. You have to give her a chance. So, mm -hmm. basically, you intentionally pretended you didn't know what was happening so that you had, like, a leg up. I don't... Yes. So, I don't... I. I think that she used the opportunity that was presented. Like, she probably was like, oh, hold on a second. And then when she's like, oh, never mind, I don't need that second. But, like, Serena, Serena already saw it and, like, it messed up her swing. So it was like, well, you called a foul on that. Like, that's a point for me. So, like, I don't, I'm not going to say anything. Like, right. that's my chance to do better. And I feel like if that's your chance to do better, you're not a good player. Like, if you're, the way that you get points is by, like, being sneaky, 
you're not a good player. And Serena is a much better person than I am because she was very polite in that like uh, post coverage match thing because I would have been like, this sneaky bitch stole a point from me and I'll never play her again. But I mean, she's already at this point probably had plenty of experience with people twisting her words, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Exactly. So this was the first time that people called Williams out for her sportsmanship. They didn't like it. They were upset about it. They said that she had bad sportsmanship. Don't worry, it won't be the last time that someone says something like this. The press did not like that she cried and they thought that she shouldn't have let the crowd affect her. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm going to jump in here for a second. Because if it had been the other way around, I don't know, was the other player white? I'm assuming she was white. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. If the other player had, like, if it had gone the other way around, the other player cried, I don't think anybody would be giving her a hard time for it. They'd be like, oh, you poor thing. Not in 2002, I feel like. Because now we've seen with Coco Guff, where she was, I forget the place, the person that she was playing, but um, the person that she was playing was like stalling, like every every turn, and like the crowd started to get like very upset about it. And then after the uh, what is it, like a post game, like Recap. it's not a post game chat, but like whenever they talk to you, like there's cameras and they're sitting in a room. She started crying, and I've only seen people making fun of this woman for crying. It's like don't bring your white woman tears here when you were trying to cheat this game. I'll I'll link that somewhere on the Instagram because I've saw so many TikToks and they were I probably already have, but I'll do it again. Um, it was just such an interesting turn of events that like white woman tears would have absolutely worked in the 2000s, but like they no longer work. Mm-hmm. They no longer work. Well, 2003 ended with Williams having to have surgery to repair damage to her knee. The pain of the surgery was nothing compared to the pain that she and her family were going through. Right On September 14, 2003, Yatunde Price, the oldest sister of the family, was killed in a drive-by shooting. Serena says uh, in 2004, she says, She was a wonderful person. We're dealing with it however we can. Some days are better than others. Yatunde and I were so close. She changed my diapers. According to People Magazine, Price was a nurse, a mother of three, and a part owner of a modest hair salon. She also worked as a personal assistant to Serena and and Venus, keeping track of their appointments and the like, even joining them at Wimbledon. But she also led a largely independent life in California. So Serena was supposed to be off the court for about 10 weeks after the surgery, but she didn't return to close to a year. When she did return, she wasn't playing as good as she used to, and the press let her know. She was dropping in the ranks from 7 to 11 in only a few months. By the end of 2004, Rebecca just made, like, such a face. Wait, 7 to 11? (laughs) Like, how dare she lose four spots when she started, like, her career at 300 and something, you know, like... Oh, yes. wow. She she went down. Like, she probably was like, yeah, this makes sense because I've been away from the game. Why yeah, don't need like, you look to at tell my life. <laughs> so by the end of 2004, Williams was back in the top 10, but she was still struggling to stay there. Her injury and her battle with depression kept her from playing at her best. And yeah, the judgmental eyes of the press did not help. In her 2009 autobiography, Williams says that she was suffering from depression and shut down communication with most people. But she saw her therapist daily. And physically, her knees and ankles were starting to show signs of wear and tear, so she was often playing hurt. The fans were understanding, but the press not so much. They called her out for her outbursts on the court, saying she was a sore loser and an even worse winner. 
Williams explained her outburst as frustration about her playing. She was injured and she wasn't at her best. The press heard her reason and claimed they were just excuses for her losing her touch and being a bad player. In her book, she speaks about this, saying, I understand that I'm in the entertainment business. I compete at the highest levels of my sport. I know the only reason that all that prize money is because people buy tickets to watch. I get that. But I also get that I do what I do for me. Don't ask me to play in a pain you could never endure. Facts. Absolute facts. By 2016, Williams was back, and she was ranked number one, and she had coined the term Serena Slam, basically because she won all four major tournaments at the same time. So 2016 was a big year for Williams. In December of that year, she and her boyfriend Alexis Ahana got engaged. But let's backtrack a little bit. According to Brides.com, I feel like I go everywhere on the internet for this podcast, but Brides.com. There you go. The couple met in 2015 at a hotel breakfast in Rome. While Serena was dining with friends, Alexis sat down at the table right next to the group. She recalls this event by saying, this big guy comes and he just plops down at the table next to us. And I'm like, uh, all these tables and he's going to sit here. Serena told the publication in an effort to get Alexis to move. The group told him that there was a rat at his table. But Alexis (laughs) didn't leave. Serena invited him to join her. And the rest is well history. Alexis Ahana is more of a computer guy. He's never even seen a tennis match until the two have met. Alexis is the co-founder of Reddit. So if you don't know, Reddit is an online network of communities where people can dive into their interests and hobbies. And it's all like on posting boards. Oh, have you ever heard anybody talk about like, am I the assholes? Like those are there. Yeah. Malicious compliance. Like those, it's just people talking and it's actually really great. There's one thread that's like, a, it's called all and it's just pictures of baby animals. And you can't right. make it through without going, oh, that's my favorite one. <laughs> one thing I like about that is, one, they kind of meet out in the wild um, mm. and like not on apps, not online, that sort of thing. Like not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just think it's yeah, rare. There is not. There's not. <laughs> but it's, it's less common these days, I think. And so it's just kind of cool to see that. And I also like that they don't have the same interests, right? Mm-mm. Like. They have some things in common, obviously, or else they wouldn't be able to maintain a relationship, but they also each have their own things. Anyway. Yeah, no, I I love that. I feel like relationships like that, like you spend so much time kind of learning and teaching each other, like that's how you fall in love. I'm here for it. Yes. A month after the proposal, Serena found out she was pregnant. After playing poorly during her first match of the year, the tennis star physically felt different, prompting her friend to suggest taking a pregnancy test. She actually took six because she was so shocked. On September 1st, 2017, the couple welcomed a daughter, Alexis Olympia O'Hannon. Her name is twofold. It's her father's name, making her a junior, but her initials are A.O. This was William's way of paying homage to the 2017 Australian Open Games, which she won while pregnant. That's cute. On November 16th, two months after their daughter was born, the couple tied the knot in New Orleans. Williams returned to the tennis court in 2019, and by 2020, she was top-ranked again. Williams broke a three-year title drought by winning the single final at the ASB Classic. I don't know what ASB stands for. I'm not looking it up. I respect that. Yes. Um, (laughs) She said, it feels good. It's been a long time. I think you can see the relief on my face. I played an incredible opponent today in Jessica, and honestly, it was a great match, and I couldn't have played anyone better in the final. 
She followed up that tournament by playing in the Australian Open in 2021. Williams ranked 10th and lost to the fourth seed, Naomi Osaka. It was the second time the two played one another. Now, we're going to talk about the first a bit later. And if you are a Patreon supporter, um, we will tell you all about Naomi Osaka in our next little rep. Reasons to become a Patreon subscriber. So much tea. So much interesting things. So much more. Kim and Rebecca. Yes. That's what we are. That's what the world needs. It's, it is. In May of 2021, Williams played her thousandth match of her career. She didn't win, but it was still a huge event. In June of that same year, she suffered a leg injury that would force her to sit out of the 2021 U.S. Open. She announced that she would not be playing in the 2022 Australian Open. Rumors about an upcoming retirement were circling. Williams was pretty vague about stating one way or the other, but in August of 2022, Williams wrote an article for Vogue in which she announced her plans to evolve away from tennis after the U.S. Open. She stated that she was moving towards other things that are important to me, adding that she does not like the word retirement. She goes on to say, I can't even have this conversation with my mom and dad. It's like not real until you say it out loud. It comes up and I get an uncomfortable lump in my throat and I start to cry. I know that a lot of people are excited about and look forward to retiring and I really, really wish I felt that way. I feel like... Those people like hate their jobs or they're like exhausted. Right. Like you're not doing your dream thing. Like if I was doing my dream job, I wouldn't look forward to retirement either. Like the thing that I've been doing since I was a kid that like moves me. That's like in my spirit. Like, of course I wouldn't look. I love how she's like, I'm just like you. It's like, no, like your job is way cooler. And like, I would love to retire from my job right now. Absolutely. <laughs> if they offered it to me, I would <laughs> not, not even, you wouldn't even have to ask me twice. I would retire. Not me. Not me. But I did finally find something that I, I actually love. So um, I like it I'm not saying I won't want to <laughs> retire when I'm 65. Like, I will want to do that. Uh, I will I be able 65. to? That's another Jesus. question. But that's so my off topic on topic. Oh, I guess I do say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my mom started working for she worked for the state and she worked for them like right out of the gate. Like she, I think, got her associates and then started working for them. So she was like. 19 or something when she started working for the state so she retired when she was 55 and then she got to have all these like little cutesy jobs like she's like i've always wanted to work at target and she went to work at target for like a month and then like quit when things got weird like she got to like travel and do all this stuff and i'm like that's i want to retire then like i would love to retire when i'm 55 and like i doubt it'll happen but like the idea of 65 feels like way too old but like i know people who are in their 70s that are still working well that's like that's the i believe that's when you can start getting your that's social, social security, security. Right? so yeah. that's why i picked that number do you have a pension at your job i do i have okay. a pension and i have a supplemental retirement fund oh all right look at maybe i'm fancy i mean yes the supplemental one gets like one percent of my paycheck at the moment because i, I can't afford more than that but uh but the Fair. The pension is like, that's a good one. That's a good one. I know. I feel like like now is the time to start having the conversation with friends. Like, what are your retirement plans? Like, what are your retirement goals? Like, I feel like people don't think about that stuff enough. And it's like, how are you going to live after you stop working? Are you going to have to work until you die? That sounds. I expect I know to. What capitalism I expect wants. somebody like a custodial worker in the university is going to open my office one day and I'm just going to be like on my desk. <laughs> Oh no, that sounds so sad. 
<laughs> I don't know. I want to like not work so I can like travel. Like my in-laws are traveling. They're in like Paris right now. Like, well, a perk of my of job is, is that I do have certain times of the year where I don't have to be oh, yeah. like restricted by location to do my job. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I still work in the summer, even though I'm not teaching sometimes, but I can do that wherever. So I can take a few weeks to travel or I could like, in theory, if I had the money to do something like this, like rent a place for the summer and like go away and like spend a summer on the... Sounds nice. I don't know. The, I don't know French why the Riviera, Riviera came to yes. mind, but yeah, that. that's what I want to do. <laughs> Like, must be nice. I don't have that. Sean is option. concerned. He's like, wait, what are these plans? <laughs> Am I invited? <laughs> What's happening? Of course. Here? <laughs> I yeah. know. I can't wait to not work so I can, like, just jet set. Mm-hmm. Jet setty life. There you go. Which you is go. why the retirement plan is important because I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, okay, let's get back to Serena. Let's get back to Serena. So Williams had a farewell tour of sorts. She played in the 2022 Canadian Open and won for the first time in 14 months. She teamed up with her sister Venus for a doubles match, their first since 2018. Serena's last match was against Australian Aha Tomlanjevic. At the, Ar- at the Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York on September 2nd, 2022. The match was really long. It was like three hours. It was also very intense with each player giving it their all. Williams lost in the end. After a handshake with the winner, Williams began to pack up her things and stopped to address the crowd. After a long wave and cheers from the crowd, everyone was in tears. Serena was in tears. She was asked by a reporter, what would you like to say to your family, to your friends, and the millions of fans that are watching around the world? Williams replied, oh my God, thank you so much. You guys are amazing today. I tried, but Ajala just played a bit better. Thank you, Daddy. I know that you're watching. Mom. I just want to thank everyone that's been he- that's here and that's been here on my side for many so many decades. My gosh, literally decades. But it all started with my parents. They deserve everything, and I'm so really grateful for them. So her mom was in the stadium, but her dad was home. I think he had had some health issues at the time. So Williams is bawling her eyes out at this point, and she stops and she says, wait, oh my God, these are happy tears. I guess. I don't know. Like, she's rambling. She continues. She says, I wouldn't be Serena if it weren't for Venus. So thank you, Venus. But she's the only reason that Serena Williams ever existed. She goes on to thank her husband and her other sisters before hugging a few more people and leaving the court. A few months after retiring, she and her husband announced that they were expecting their second child. In August of this year, 2023, Adira River Ohanen was born. So the four are, are currently happily recuperating at their home in Jupiter, Florida. So my favorite thing to do for this podcast is to Google, why do people hate and then insert the name of the person that we're doing? The episode writes its fucking self. Like I found myself on the grossest corners of the interwebs. Like they're mostly men complaining about everything from Williams sportsmanship to her wardrobe, the size of her butt. Like it gets crazy. All right. So let's start with sportsmanship, right? So some Mm. internet dude, some rando who's like just posting comments wherever. I don't know. His name is Leonard anderson something whatever it could be oh wait should we not say his i mean he put it on the internet (laughs) is he gonna sue us no it's on the internet for reading what he wrote yeah (laughs) shut up leonard (laughs) also do we think leonard listens to a podcast about like like with women doing it absolutely not (laughs) with women doing it and about women and redeeming women no no absolutely not all right so i'm not worried about leonard 
Anyway, this Leonard guy, he says, Serena Williams is morally and ethically a washout. I don't even know what that means, but okay. She is a great tennis player with many wins under her belt. But once she gets beat, something that is inevitable even for the greatest of players, she throws a tizzy fit and acts like a spoiled child on the court. So some other internet dude named Ken Leonard... No relation. <laughs> Since one is the first name, one's the last name. <laughs> well, he agreed, saying, yes, she's negative and whiny on court. She's a horrible loser and not a great winner. She, abuse, she abuses lines people and referees and is so obnoxiously rude while doing it. So what people are referring to here mostly is the 2018 U.S. Open match between Williams and Naomi Osaka. The game started off well, but went sideways quickly when during that second set, Williams was given a code violation because her coach, Patrick Moritoglo, gave her coaching hand signals, something they're not allowed to do. Williams was upset by this violation, claiming that her coach was simply giving her a thumbs up. Williams felt that she was being accused of cheating. She felt that her integrity was being questioned. After all of her years in the game, why cheat now? Williams demanded an apology from the chair umpire, Carlos Ramos. Spoiler alert, she did not get one. Later, her coach admitted that he was coaching, but she wasn't looking, saying it was something he couldn't turn off. What did the camera see? Well, Williams and her coach trading thumbs up. For this, she received a fine. Williams' second issue of the night was when after missing a ball, she slammed her racket into the ground, breaking it as a result. For that, she got a penalty point. So this was not the first time or the last time that she would break a racket. I actually saw a YouTube compilation of times where she's broken them in frustration or an error or by accident. People make it seem like she was being crazy and aggressive, but this seems pretty common that rackets break or break out of frustration. Yeah, and especially, well, we'll talk about men later, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Her third violation that night came after she demanded that the umpire apologize and announce that there was no cheating. Williams said, for you to attack my character is wrong. You owe me an apology. You will never be on a court with me as long as you live. You are the liar. You owe me an apology. Say it. Say you're sorry. You stole the point from me. You're a thief too. In tears, she asked to speak to the head ref saying, you know my character. This is not right. To lose a game for saying that, it's not fair. How many other men do things? There's a lot of men out here who have said a lot of things. It's because I'm a woman and that's not right. So the night ended with Williams being fined $17,000. Jesus. Including, yeah, including $4,000 for coaching, a coaching violation, $3,000 for racket abuse, which just sounds very funny, and $10,000 for verbal abuse towards the umpire. It also ended with a long hug between Williams and Osaka. Williams expressed how proud she was and got the crowd to stop booing. A good amount of people in the crowd also thought that she was being treated unfairly. The next day, commentators were mixed on what happened. Some people say that Williams was trying to steal the spotlight. Others say that she had a point. ESPN commentator Patrick McEnroe, a former top professional player himself and brother to John McEnroe, a.k.a. the bad boy of tennis, spoke about the match on Good Morning America, saying, Serena has a point when it comes to gender bias because I've seen a million tennis matches between Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, and there's this guy named John McEnroe who was known to get a a little bit crazy. Yeah, so Serena's right when she says this probably would have been handled differently if it were men playing. Was Williams wrong for the way that she handled things? Maybe. But at her core, she was defending herself. And sometimes you have to be loud to be heard, especially as a woman. 
I would strongly recommend going on YouTube and finding this because the whole situation seems like, like the coaching situation, her coach is like, he's so zany. He's like, yeah, everybody coaches, but like, she didn't see me, but like, everybody coaches. What are you going to do? And it's like, sir, she got fined $4,000 for that. Like, bro, what are you doing? And he was like, just like, yeah, everybody does it. It's not a big deal. But apparently like it happens in like men's all the time and no one really acknowledges it. Cause like how much coaching could you possibly do at that point? Like she's in the middle of a game. And like when she goes up to like defend herself, she starts off very, very calm. Like I know us quoting it and like maybe putting our emotion behind it. Like, but she's super calm when she first starts. By the time she's like calling this dude a thief, now she's crying because she's like upset because no one's listening to her. Yeah. So like I would recommend we'll put links in. Like this is all on YouTube. There's like so much cool shit on YouTube about tennis. Like you can get it down to like the exact moment. And like her breaking her racket, she was frustrated at herself. She wasn't screaming at someone else. She wasn't screaming at Naomi. Like she was mad at herself and she broke a racket. You can never scream at anyone named Naomi. No, never. You treat them with kindness. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to talk about the, you know, that double standard that we mentioned before with, mm-hmm. um, you know, John McEnroe, for example, right? Like we mentioned that he once said emotions are part of the game, part of the intensity. This is a man saying this. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's Bible. Uh, oh yeah of course uh but for some reason that intensity for the game becomes something different when women are playing yeah okay Mm -hmm. so in an article titled why does tennis hate its greatest player writer alpana mena says serena's outburst was far from unprecedented in unprecedented in the high pressure world of grand slam tennis finales she didn't swear as many other players have done a thousand times before including the off-sighted model of civility roger fetter in fact she tried to calmly reason with the umpire until it became clear that he was punishing her for daring to speak up at which at which point she went off Was Williams being punished for daring to speak up and to stand up for herself? Did she come off as an angry? Did she come off as angry or violent because she's a black woman? We'll never know the motives, if any, for the umpire's actions, as he does not have to explain himself. (sighs) I wish there were women umps. I'm sure there are. There are. But like, there There should just be that. I I don't know. like take all the jobs away from men and give them to women. Well, Let's women's start sports. with Instacart shoppers. <laughs> Have you ever done Instacart and had a male? To- oh my god, they're the worst. I one time got radishes instead of grape tomatoes and was so confused about it. <laughs> how no how, the, sir i did have one once um but he sent pictures going like hey they don't have this is this okay and sent an actual picture oh no i have the confident ones who are like this is probably right okay well the umpire didn't have didn't have to explain himself and none of the men in tennis really need to either apparently american sports fans have always embraced the bad boys of tennis which is a funny thing to say because it's tennis, but okay. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the skill of the game paired with the cockiness and the attitude make them quick fan favorites. So let's stick with John McEnroe for our example, as he's kind of number one on the list. Uh, and as there's a list compiled by Men's Journal, and it's actually called Ranking the Bad Boys of Tennis, and he's number one. 
it's a really common term, and I think that that's weird. Like once I started looking it up, I kept seeing bad, bad boys, boys of, of tennis, tennis. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And there's like Pete Sanford, no, Andre Agassi, um, Andy Roddick. Like there are people that I knew on this list, and I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> like, is there a bad girls of tennis list? I didn't Google that. I don't think I'd want to see no, Google that. No, but, I feel like that yeah. would be something different. Yeah. Anyway. McEnroe's confrontations with umpires and referees are legendary in the world of tennis. He frequently challenged their decisions, arguing to the point of heated disputes. He even once told an ump to go fuck your mother. But when people describe him, this behavior is cited as part of his personality. It's not a flaw or a moment of bad judgment. His actions were part of his fiery on-court personality. People came to expect the outburst from him. McEnroe's confrontations became an integral part of his playing style and his public image. In 1981, a dispute line call gave rise to the now famous John McEnroe quote, you cannot be serious. This catchphrase <laughs> was used for the two biograph for two of his biographies and then a few more ads from Chase to All Brand Cereal. I think it was also used in the um, Never Have I Ever show because he was the narrator. It's a Netflix show. It's like a, it's a Mindy Kaling show, I believe, but it's like a Indian teenage girl oh. coming of age type thing. But John McEnroe yes. is like the voiceover narrator for that story. What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> like they they make a connection like they, they they find a way to connect it but it's very weird okay anyway and so he says it there too i think so if i remember correctly but i mean i found a lot of instances of him saying it but like the point is like why does one person get to literally capitalize on behavior that most people have agreed is unacceptable while another person gets to be called unsportsmanlike like he's making money off of this it's because he has a penis yeah i know that's ridiculous <laughs> You cannot be serious. <laughs> that can't be all it takes. I the just, bar is so low for men. So, it's you know, so if we ask ourselves the question, could it be sexism? Obviously, the answer is yes, right? Yes. When it comes to the Williams versus Osaka match in 2018, others called sexism too. Former female tennis pro Billie Jean King commented, when a woman is emotional, she's hysterical and she's penalized for it. When a man does the same, he's outspoken and there are mm. no repercussions. Thank you, Serena Williams, for calling out this double standard. More voices are needed to do the same. I, I mean, I know for you all listening, it's been two weeks, but like we just recorded the Sor Juana episode earlier today and we were just talking about double standards in the fucking 17th century. And now we're always talking about double standards. Yeah, like there just right. will always be them. And it's like, it fucking sucks. Like, I would love if we like couldn't do this podcast anymore because everybody had an equal playing field. Like, that would be a great reason to not do it because like everyone has is their own person and you can do what you want and no one's going to compare you to somebody else. Like, it's, it would be great, mm -hmm. but it's not going to happen. So, we will have this podcast for a long time <laughs> because the world is terrible. <sighs> I'm like frustrated. <laughs> I'm like frustrated about this situation. Yeah, right? Just like. <laughs> that wasn't even the first sexist thing to happen that week. In an earlier match, player Elise Cornet went off court to change her shirt during a 10 minute break from the match. When she realized that her shirt was backwards, she fixed it briefly. She fixed it, briefly exposing her sports bra. She was fined. 
Male players routinely take their shirts off to cool down during breaks with no fines or even a question of modesty. A male pro player, John Isner, changed his shirt 11 times during his three hour plus match on the court. He got zero fines. Yeah, I mean, showing off his chest, his male boobs. I mean, it goes back to that soccer episode we did, right? Where they came up with that fine for people taking their shirt off after a woman had done it. Like now nobody can take the shirt off because a woman did it. Yeah, like I, I would love to know how much her fine was. That seems, based on like the other fines, right? They seem very expensive. Yeah. yeah, and if you don't win, then you're just eating that out of your pocket. Like Serena didn't win that night, so she had to pay seventeen thousand dollars. Like I mean, I she hope has the coach paid the four thousand part, but I doubt it. I hope so because he was like, I tell you, have to watch it because he's just like ha, 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 ha. everybody coaches. This time she didn't see me coach, but like they saw me coach. Like he's like making a like he thinks it's hysterical and it's like she had to pay four thousand dollars sir like it's not funny well talking about the wardrobe and all of that serena's not unfamiliar with you know her wardrobe or body being policed by the tennis world at the 2018 french open williams wore a jumpsuit that had been designed to help prevent blood clots so like medically necessary kind of thing Mm -hmm. uh this was after giving birth to her daughter in 2017 The French Tennis Federation banned her from wearing it again and cited the need to respect the game. It was also announced that the Open would be introducing a new, more restrictive dress code moving forward. The Federation president further explained the catsuit ban by saying, I think that sometimes we've gone too far. But I love how that doesn't further explain anything. No, no, it doesn't do that. And it also, we only go too far when... Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Like, okay, a woman did something different. Mm -hmm. A black woman at that. It's like, was she supposed to check with? Was she supposed to send like a mock up of this outfit to the the French Tennis Federation before wearing it? Like, I don't understand. Like, what's the protocol? Like, if there's not a strict uniform that you need to wear, then you could wear whatever you want. Technically, right? Does this outfit give her some sort of advantage? Yeah, right? right. I can't imagine, but. I mean, it makes her not get a blood clot and die, but like... I mean, that's that's just a life advantage, but like... Not- <laughs> Maybe that was too much of an advantage for them. Yeah. Sexism in sports seems to be uh, blamed on tradition. Traditional women wear short white skirts, and traditionally the players are white and blonde, but Williams smashes that mold. Even when she was a kid, Williams was othered, if you will. We're sure that you've seen pictures of the Williams sisters when they first started out. They both wore white beads in their hair braids. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that? Yep. Like that was the first thing I saw because I also had little beads in my hair and I was just like, I'm going to play tennis one day. And then I never did. So these beads were a topic of conversation. So the commentators that were around at the time um, were former tennis stars turned commentators. It was Chris Everett, John McEnroe, our favorite, and Mary Carrillo. They described the hair accessories as noisy and disruptive. Or was it that the hairstyle was just too cultural for the white dominated sport with a white dominated audience? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to lean towards the latter. Because like how loud could they have possibly have been? And is that a distracting thing in tennis? Like, I mean, because people are grunting and stuff on the field. So yeah. the, field, the court. So. Well, that sadly wouldn't be the last time that the Williams family had to question, are people being racist? There was the 2001 incident at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden in California. 
Both sisters were set to play each other, but had games before that. Venus fell victim to a knee injury during her match and called off playing against her sister. It was 20 minutes before they were supposed to play. So the crowd was pissed, to say the least. When Serena and family showed up the next day to play at another match, the crowd booed her. Williams describes it in her book, saying, What got me most of all was that it wasn't just a scattered bunch of boos, she continued. It wasn't coming from just one section. It was like the whole crowd got together and decided to boo all at once. The ugliness was just raining down on me hard. Williams added, I looked up and all I could see was a sea of rich people, mostly older, mostly white, standing and booing lustily like some genteel lynch mob. Williams wrote, I heard the N word a couple of times. And just before the start of play, my dad and Venus started to walk down the aisle to the player's box by the side of the court. And everyone turned and just started to point and boo at them. It was almost it was mostly just a crowd of boos, but I could still hear shouts of N word here and there. I even heard an angry voice telling us to go back to Compton. She added, it was unbelievable. Williams won that match that day and her family refused to play there again. The boycott lasted 14 years. I mean, good. Cause if you can't good. keep your crowd from being like nasty, racist assholes, yeah. I, I don't want to be there. There was just an incident and it's like guys, but like still racism. It was, um, I think it was like Texas state playing and there was Alabama fans that like yelled, go back to the projects, you F word. It's like over and over again. I'll post that on there just so I'll post it on Instagram so we can just chat about how like racist sports can be. Mm-hmm. And like it doesn't matter if you love a team that like has a whole bunch of black people on it, you can still be racist. Like there are probably people who were fans of her but felt slighted that day and like they felt comfortable to say what they said and they said it. Well, the racism that Williams has had to deal with didn't end there. So let's talk about racism in the press and among tennis fans. Just after that controversial 2018 U.S. Open final between Williams and Naomi Osaka, a Melbourne newspaper called The Herald Sun published a cartoon. I I never have trust for any newspaper called The Sun. Uh, (laughs) Why? Just because they're all like trash ones. Like everyone that I know that's called The Sun is like a trash magazine. (laughs) There's like a tabloid one that's called The Sun or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Um, It showed Williams throwing a fit and jumping on a racket while the ref can be seen asking her opponent to just let her win. The cartoon was done by Mark Knight and was criticized for being racist and sexist. Many people, including Williams' husband, Alexis, came to her defense and called out the paper. The cartoonist Mark Knight gave Williams grossly exaggerated features like oversized lips, a big nose, and very wiry hair. The drawing has been criticized for using racist tropes. It really resembles one of those cartoons for a minstrel show. If you think of like a black character with like watermelon and like big red lips and like just huge eyes. Yeah. It really does look like that. Um, In the cartoon, Naomi's character is a white woman with blonde hair. But Williams is depicted as wearing the same outfit from their match. Like, it clearly is that day. But he didn't draw Naomi. And I have, like, a weird theory. So, like, Naomi being left out is, like, really interesting to me. It's like Martin Knight was looking for a way to make a racist commentary on a black woman. But if he drew two black women differently, then he couldn't just say, oh, that's how I draw all black women. Mm. So, like, in his opinion, Naomi did nothing wrong. So there was no need to punish her with an unflattering drawing. So he just like left her out altogether. Yeah. And Naomi Osaka is biracial too, right? Yes. So that would be another one of his like, like seeing them differently. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. the racism is more pronounced uh, by just focusing on the one. Yeah. In September 2019, a Romanian television host said live on the air in front of millions of people. And I apologize in advance. Serena Williams looks exactly like one of those monkeys at the zoo with the red asses. I mean, the consequences were swift. The Romanian National Council for Combating Discrimination made the host pay a fine of $1,875. But like what else happened? And why was he even there to say that in the first place? I just I love that they have a national council for combating discrimination. Like, is that I mean, like, it's super bad there. So they needed to create something like this. I feel like it because like for you to feel so comfortable to say something like this in 2019 on television, it must be horrible. But the fact that the fine is so low is also like like not fired or anything. Just a fine. Yeah. Like probably went back to work the next day and said less worse things. But like they're out 1800 bucks. So yeah. that's what matters. Oh. Uh, in an article with a super long title called <laughs> Despite Decades of Racism and Sexist Attacks, Serena Williams Keeps Winning, writer Janae Desmond-Harris points out that Williams's body has always been a point of commentary. She writes, there's no way out of it. The fascination with the size and shape of parts of Williams's body that have nothing to do with her tennis skills is creepy. Jason Whitlock, a black sports writer, slammed Williams in a 2009 Fox Sports column for having chosen to smother her beauty in an unsightly layer of muscled blubber. What the That is fuck. what this man said. His main gripe, um, unsurprisingly, was about what he called her oversized backpack. He explained, I am not fundamentally opposed to junk in the trunk, although my preference is a stuffed onion over an oozing pumpkin. What the fuck is any of that? What, like, besides racist, sexist dribble? Yeah, like, I just don't understand how you could, you could speak this way about a person. Like, it's this is a black man, too, right? So misogyny is not. And even racism, like those things are not exclusive, but like, no, well, they are 99% of the time coming out of a white person's mouth. I don't have exact percentages. You get the idea. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like this sexism is still coming across from this other man. Oh, absolutely. The Telegraph's Matthew Norman wrote in 2006 that Williams's breasts were likely to hinder her career saying, generally, I'm all for chunky sports stars, but tennis requires a mobility Serena cannot hope to achieve while lugging around breasts that are registered to vote in a different U.S. state from the rest of her. I, My head is going to explode. I cannot believe that anybody would say, like, and in a professional setting, like, I feel like there had to be a better way to say it. I don't know if it needed to be said at the all. The Telegraph is also because, a shit rag, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, but it, I, it's just like, even a shit rag needs like a sports reporter, but like, this is who you hire? Yeah. Like, and this is 2006. Like, she was already playing and been playing for a number of years. So what do you mean that it was going to hinder her career? Like, her boobs were, she didn't grow them overnight. Like, and we saw her grow up on the court. Like, so it seems so insane. Mm-hmm. Well, a few years later, in 2012, Williams's friend, the Danish tennis player Caroline Wozniacki, brought to life all the scrutiny of Williams's body, mocking her curves by stuffing her own top and tennis skirt with towels at an exhibition match. 
Williams responded to those who thought the joke was in bad taste by saying, I don't think she meant anything racist by it, but added, if people feel that it seems racist, she should take reason and do something different next time. I thought, even if it wasn't racist, it was really fucked up to do being that like, that person is your friend, but it looks really tacky. Like she just basically stuffed towels into her shirt and like her skirt to like over accentuate her butt and her boobs and like pranced around and was like, I'm, I'm Serena Williams. And it's like, how are you guys friends? Like if you did that to me, I would feel like <laughs> some type of way. Like if you just like stuffed yourself to make yourself like fatter, I was like, I'm Kimberly Kunk. I would feel like some type, we wouldn't be friends anymore. No, like, that's no. fucking rude. <laughs> I wouldn't be friends with me if I did something yeah. like that. And that's like, if you did it in your living room, this girl did it on a tennis court in front of millions of people via camera. Like mm-hmm. it seems, and it's, it's forever. Like this was years ago and it's forever cemented. Like there are pictures like, Caroline, you messed up. Like, I don't know what you do now. I don't know if she's still playing tennis, but like, I'm sure like people lost respect for her because that was really messed up. (sighs) So the hatred for her looks, the hatred for Williams' looks paired with racism makes for some really disgusting commentary as we have shown. Williams has been called a gorilla on Twitter repeatedly. The racism that underlines the characteristics of her as hypersexual, aggressive, and animalistic also mean means that when she dares to express frustration, she's stamped with the infamous angry black woman stereotype. Mm-hmm. We have seen it in so many matches. Tennis is a sport of emotions, but when it's been played by a black woman, the only emotion recognized is anger. All of these judgments have an effect. Williams can hear and read all of the crap being said about her. She's aware, but she has to focus on her game in her life. Williams once told a reporter at the New York Times, I'm really happy with my body type and I'm really proud of it. Obviously, it works out for me. I talk about it all the time, about how it was uncomfortable for someone like me to be in my body. And why shouldn't she love her body? It helped her win over 23 Grand Slam titles, supported her while training and playing in over a thousand matches, and was strong enough to birth two children. Her talent is in every muscle, every curve on her body. Maybe the haters are just intimidated. Maybe they should be. Looking at Williams's impact, um, let's start with, uh, you know, some of the awards and wins that she has. And this list is very long for Serena Williams. But the most impressive, in our opinion, is that she's considered the greatest woman's tennis player of all time and perhaps the greatest athlete of all time. Sports commentators all give props to her for revolutionizing women's tennis since the 1990s. Even the ones who talk about her looks or focus on her flaws will admit that she changed the game. In 2015, she was named Sports Illustrated's Spokesperson of the Year. She also has four Olympic medals, making her the most decorated tennis player in Olympics history. And like we said earlier in the episode, she's won 23 Grand Slam titles. She's also the oldest person to win a Grand Slam across genders. In 2015, she became the first black female athlete to have a solo cover on Vogue magazine. And she currently holds the record for most wins at the Australian Open. Williams is also hella charitable with her money, her time, and her voice. In the early 2000s, Williams would visit children's hospitals and play charity matches on behalf of the Ronald McDonald House. In 2019, she donated her $43,000 winner's check to the victim of Australian wildfires. In 2014, Serena started Serena Ventures and has advocated for founders who exemplify innovation while promoting the emergence of companies from women and people of color. In 2016, she partnered with Helping Hands Jamaica to build a school in Jamaica. 
She was honored with the Young Heroes Award from the Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA. In 2016, she spoke out about gender equality in the, ten- in the tennis world, which brought a light to the issue. Sadly, the needle is moving very, very slowly. Coco Goff, who just won the 2023 US Open, spoke about her winnings. Goff won 120K to the male competitors, 353K. Why? <laughs> well, we already know the answer to that, but it's still a question that needs asking because it doesn't have a satisfactory answer yet, right? <laughs> Yeah, like I need a a, a list, re- 10 reasons why. I need them to like, say it out loud because yeah, if they say it out loud, to, yeah. then maybe they'll like pick up on how absurd it is. Yeah. And back in 2016, Serena said, these sports have a lot of work to do. And I really hope that I can be helpful in that journey because I do believe that women deserve same pay. At the U.S. Open this year, the women's games got more views. So there's no excuse to not pay them what they should be making. Mm-hmm. Williams has had a bunch of, really like super random jobs but she also has other accomplishments under her belt as well so she is on the board of directors at survey monkey random but okay very random (laughs) Um, she has a sustainable clothing line it's called s by serena and its focus is longevity and size inclusivity She's also known for her fashion on the court. From unusual and colorful outfits to tutus and cat suits, Williams has changed the idea of the ladies' tennis uniform. She also worked with a company called Hair Tech in early 2010s. Here she became a certified nail technician. She's clearly a woman of many talents. Lastly, she's been an inspiration to young tennis players, especially tennis players of color. Coco Guff, the 2023 winner of the U.S. Open, has said, carrying the legacy that they left means a lot to me. Serena and Venus especially, Athea especially. Guff said in an interview after, the ch- after her championship winning match, I'm a product of their legacy and all the trials and tribulations that they went through, and I wouldn't have won this trophy if it wasn't for them. Naomi Osaka has also been inspired by Williams. She's been quoted as saying, she is my idol, and it was always my dream to play Serena in the U.S. Open Finals, so I'm really glad I was able to do that. Serena is here for it. She loves the new players coming to the court. Williams says, I definitely think it's the future for women's tennis, and I'm really excited to just be a fangirl and kind of watch. Final thoughts, takeaways. So... I have always been under the assumption that her dad was like a stage dad, which kind of makes me feel bad because I was like, oh, they didn't have childhood. So like they're forced into this tennis world. And like, clearly I was wrong. Like their parents made sure that there was balance and Serena's love for tennis isn't forced in any way. Like she truly loves it. That's why it's so hard for her to retire. And while she hasn't 100 percent committed to retirement, like she says that she still might be back. The woman is so strong physically and emotionally. Like, I don't care what I love. If people talked about me the way they talked about her as casually as they talked about her, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could, like, show my face. Like, I would I would break for sure. And she hasn't broken. She's actually an advocate for body positivity. And she uses her platform so well. And she always stands up for herself, like, despite the backlash, on top of being ridiculously good at tennis. Right. Like, all of that. And she's fantastic at her job. Like, it's amazing. Sexism in sports is so ridiculous. I mean, we talked about it on the episode of women's soccer. And now looking at it in terms of one individual woman in particular, this really just emphasizes that sexism. But when you pair it with racism, it's exponentially worse. It 
takes a lot to continue dedicating yourself to something when you have to deal with what Serena has dealt with. So yeah, I'm fucking proud of her for sticking with it. She's a fantastic role model for so many young tennis players and her representation in the game means so much for so many. I only wish her the best with her life moving forward, both in the game, you know, if she's playing casually or comes out of retirement or whatever, um, but also beyond that. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Serena Williams, where can we go? Well, we have, uh, despite decades of racist and sexist attacks, Serena Williams keeps winning our article with the long, long title. Um, That's by Janae Desmond Harris. There's Serena Williams' tennis star discusses body image in the New York Times interview by Adam Wells. On the Line by Serena Williams. Thank you, Serena, for naming your book nice and short (laughs) the film king richard directed by ronaldo marcus green from 2021 oh i saw this on the list of sources and it just it it made me mad not for the film but for like that moment when um jane campion gets up to accept the award and she comments um she, she said something to the williams sisters like that what she did was like tougher than what they had to do because they didn't have to compete with men. Do you remember this? I vaguely remember right? it. I do vaguely remember it. And I was like, who is this woman? Right. Why Why and make this moment about anybody else than yourself? Like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, this is the time to actually make it about you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she, yeah, she was a woman who had a lot of firsts for women in the film industry. But like, you know... They, they, they didn't have to play men on the court, but they still were held to a standard higher yeah. than that of men. Um, and, you know, they're black women in what has traditionally been a very white sport. So, like, I'm not saying Jane Campion didn't have to battle things in her life. I'm not I'm not trying to do that. But like to insinuate that the Williams sisters didn't also have a battle. I think that was a bit of a misstep. Like, why don't we lift each yeah. other up instead yes. of competing with one another? Like, don't compare your struggles. Like, there's no who wins in that men like that's stupid right like ugh. it could have been such a moment to be like i also understand like struggling and like trying to be the best i like, could never compare my struggles to yours yeah. but we both have struggles like <laughs> it just seems like oh i don't, like why are they always like the butt of the joke like what what is the point like why it was so unnecessary yep So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have any suggestions of women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRepPod and Instagram and TikTok at BigRepputationsPod. Send us a message or email us at BigRepputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or your doubles partner. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. And check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash bigreputationspod, or just check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Naomi Osaka. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. All right, let's wrap this recording number three up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? I have one from Serena herself. Honestly, if I'm able to open the door for the next person, that means a lot to me too. And hopefully they'll be able to do better than me. Love it. And as always, believe women. Believe women.
Osaka and she was born in Osaka, Japan. Is that actually true? Yes. You, I that's mean, so you funny. did. Well, you did. I know. <laughs> I'm double checking now because okay. I'm like, that seems crazy. I mean, both of those are real, right? Like her name is actually Naomi Osaka and Osaka is an actual place. No, so. I know. But I just think that that's so funny. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. That's like if your name was like, my name was like Kimberly Brooklyn. And I yeah. live in Brooklyn. Like that's funny. I love it.